So if you've got a Bible, open it up. Uh, John chapter 14 is where we are. And uh, we've spent quite a few weeks now uh, going through 13 and 14. We're moving nice and slow, but it's good. Uh, Lee got like a whole bunch of verses last week, and this week I get three. So that is awesome. I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, So verses 12 to 14 uh, is where we're going to be of John chapter 14. Um, Over the last uh, number of years uh, in my childhood and adult life, I've been very, very privileged to uh, be able to sit at the feet of some amazing teachers, amazing professors uh, in many different fields. I got to study kinesiology uh, in my undergrad and theology for my master's, and I've got to study in really cool places and learn some really deep, some really profound uh, things. Uh, But as I was reflecting this week, um, by far the most important and profound and deeply formative lesson I have ever learned in my life. Uh, I didn't learn somewhere cool and exotic. I actually learned in the cold, harsh prairie winds of Grand Prairie in northern Alberta. Uh, Yeah, baby. That's where my family's from. And I didn't learn it from a uh, grad school professor with six PhDs and all the all the bells and whistles that go with it, I learned it from Grandpa Charlie, who didn't even finish high school. Um, and I learned it when I was not a university student, but uh, when I was about five years old. And I remember just being up in Grand Prairie for Christmas. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible time when nobody should be awake. Uh, and for some reason, I had woken up probably excited about Christmas or something. Uh, but I remember I wandered into Grandpa Charlie's bedroom uh, and I thought I would, you know, bother Grandpa and Grandma and, and see what they're up to. And I expected them to be asleep. And I found Grandpa Charlie uh, beside his bed. Uh, he had a kneeler. And uh, I said, Grandpa, what are you doing? And he said, come here, bucko. He called me bucko. I still don't know what that means. I said, come here, bucko. This is what we do. And he brought me down onto my knees next to him. And he had his Bible open. And he said, this is what we do. Before we start the day, before we get busy, before we do all the things we got to do, he he pulls out this list. He says, we pray. We pray for your mom, and we pray for your dad, and we pray for your brother, and we pray for our neighbors, and we pray for this person and this. And he had this long list of people that every single day he got on his knees at a terrible hour of the morning, and he prayed. He took these people to God, and he was not lacking for things to do. He was a very successful businessman, very influential. He went on to have this influential business career with tons of different businesses and and impacted all these different people in the business world in Alberta and did all these incredible things. And the lesson I learned that morning that stuck with me, that impacted me the most deeply of any lesson I've ever learned is that no matter what we do, no matter how busy we are, no matter what our dreams and goals and aspirations are, a man or a woman is only as good as the amount of time that they spend on their knees going to God in prayer. A life of meaning, a life of impact, a life of working for the purposes and the mission of God in the world only happens on our knees. 
bringing to God the people in our lives, bringing to God the cares and the needs and the concerns of our hearts and going to him in prayer day in and day out. Prayer is where God wants to meet us. Prayer is where God wants to grab a hold of us and shape our hearts and make our heart like his and then send us out into the world. Prayer is where God moves. Prayer is where something happens in the spiritual realm, things that would not have happened had we not prayed. Prayer is what we need to get back to. I feel this burden church that we need to get back to prayer. We do so many things. We're so busy. We have such full schedules. We run around and try to do so many good things with good intention. We need to get back to prayer. In our passage this morning, that is what Jesus is going to say to his followers, to his disciples. He's going to say, hey guys, I've given you work to do. You are going to carry on the work in the world that I started in my earthly ministry. And the way that you are going to do it is by asking me to do it. And it will be my joy to fill you with power and strength and everything that you need to do it. Let's read our couple verses here. Verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise. What a promise. We're going to unpack what that actually means, but just get some context. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Whenever Jesus says truly, truly, uh, he says it quite a few times. That means, hey, listen up. This is important. I want you to hear this and I want you to not miss this. Don't just breeze over this. Don't just blow past this. This is important, what I'm about to say. Remember the context, the disciples. This is the same conversation uh, that we talked about last week. If you were here where uh, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, right? So the disciples, they are troubled. Their hearts are anxious because Jesus has just told them, I'm going away. They don't really know what that means. They're confused. They love Jesus. They don't want him to go. They've also just learned that one of them, one of the disciples is going to betray Jesus. So they're saying, oh, who is it? Who do we need to not trust? Uh, They've also just learned that Peter, one of the closest among them, is about to deny Jesus. And so they are troubled. Their hearts are are anxious. And if you remember, uh, Jesus, one of his remedies for their troubled hearts and their anxious hearts is, hey, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place in heaven, in eternity, and I'm coming back. I'm leaving now, but I'm coming back, and I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to bring you there to heaven, and you're going to be there with me, with the presence of God for all of eternity. And that brings them great comfort. But what does he say in our passage today? He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and even greater works. So he's saying to the disciples, hey, let not your hearts be troubled because, yes, remember heaven, right? Nothing in this world, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter what struggles and pain and hardship you go through, nothing can rip you out of my hands. I love you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you to myself. Nothing can, can take you away, can steal you away from my love. There's heaven. Yes, that's where you're going. But he's saying in this passage, until you get there, there's work to do. There's still work to do. So he's saying, don't just dig yourself a nice, safe, comfortable little hole and wait and hold on tight and cover yourself in a blanket and wait until eternity and wait until heaven and make yourself as safe and comfortable as possible until you get there. He's saying, guys, listen up. 
until you get to that place that I have prepared for you, there is work to do. Right? This is Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved. For what? For the good works that God prepared for you beforehand that you should what? Walk in them. There is work to do. And so one of Jesus' remedies for a troubled and anxious heart is mission. He's calling his disciples to mission. He's explaining to them, making very clear to them that yes, I'm going away, but hey, the works that you saw me do, the things that I did, the things that I taught you, the lessons that I passed on to you, you heard what I taught, you saw me do these things, and now I'm pushing you out into the world to go and do them. Carry them on. The mission that I started, that was just the beginning. You're going to carry it forward, right? This is that idea of discipleship, mathetes, learner, apprentice, right? This is true apprenticeship. The master does, the disciples and apprentices watch and listen, and then when he goes, they go and do. That's what Jesus is saying to them. That's what he's saying to us. Hey, learn my word. Be shaped and changed and transformed by my word and by my gospel. Listen to what I say. Watch how I live, and then go and do. Right? And so one of the things that Jesus does to lift them from their anxious and their troubled spirit is he reminds them that there's actually a bigger picture. He lifts their eyes from the confused and anxious fog of their immediate trouble and circumstances. And he says, hey, guys, I know you're sad. I know you're troubled. But remember, there's a bigger mission that I've called you into, that I've empowered you for, that I'm sending you out into. Because what happens, right? When we get troubled, when our lives are crazy, when we start uh, just getting, getting in the thick of it, things get difficult, what do we do? We get this narrow tunnel vision sort of focus, right? Where, where our vision just stays so ground level. All we can think about is the troubles in our own lives, the things that are going on with us, right? In our immediate little circle. And one of the amazing, beautiful graces that God gives us when we are troubled, when we're really going through it, is to actually lift our eyes above the fog of our immediate circumstances and remind us that he's actually called us into something that is way bigger than just us. Way bigger than ourselves. His mission was never just to come and give us a comfortable, safe little life as disciples so we just hang on for dear life until we get to heaven. His mission was for us to partner with him in his redemption and transformation of the world. The first words that Jesus says in Mark's gospel is that I'm here. The kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. He started, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. He brought it to earth, heaven kissing earth and started this beautiful process of transformation and redemption. The world is dark. Jesus brings light beautiful light to crash down into the world and his mission his plan was to drag that light into all the dark corners of the earth and his plan was always to involve his people that he loves in that mission and so it's like jesus is saying to the disciples and he's he's saying to us guys don't get stuck in this small comfortable safe little mindset because we can do that as christians we can do that as the church we can get really really stuck in just our own immediate little circumstances, right? And it's like he's saying to them and saying to us, guys, if your vision of what it means to follow me is just this safe, watered-down, comfortable, familiar, repetitive thing, right, where we just like show up on a Sunday or if you're like the average church attender, maybe like 
every two or three Sundays is like pretty good, pretty good attendance record, right? And then you go and maybe you're part of a Bible study or two, a couple things, maybe you meet up with some people and, you know, you have the same surface level conversation a hundred thousand million times. Hey man, how are you? Good, good. You? Yeah, good. What are you doing this weekend? Yeah, just hanging out. All right, see you next Sunday. God bless, right? Is that is that what we're doing as a church? And you go to the potlucks, right? And you, you drink the weird watered-down coffee and the, the, the biscuits that are like made of drywall, right? And it's like, oh man, is this your view of what Christianity is? And you just live this comfortable little existence day in, day out when you've exhausted all of the, the series that you wanted to watch on Netflix and you're a little bit bored, then maybe you'll toss up some, some, some tired and some bored prayers to God, right? Some half-hearted little all right, give us a good day, God. Give us a good weekend. Uh, help us to have a nice time. Right, is that Christianity? God, it's like Jesus is saying to us, man, if that's your view of what this is to follow me, your view, your vision is way too small. It's way too small. Lift up your eyes. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and even greater works. Man, we, oh, just, we can just water it down sometimes, can't we? We can just uh, boil Christianity and following Jesus down to this, this safe, domesticated, comfortable little thing that there's no danger, there's no sense of adventure, there's no sense of call, sense of mission. And then we wonder why people are not fired up about involvement in the church. We wonder why people are not fired up about following Jesus, especially men, especially young men, right? One of the, the, the crazy things I think we're seeing culturally right now and don't get me wrong, I love Jordan Peterson, but there's this weird phenomenon happening where it's like young men are going like, whoa, do you listen to this Jordan Peterson thing? He just like, he said, make your bed in the morning and take responsibility for your life and live with purpose. It's like, dude, Jesus has been saying that since day one. Jordan Peterson didn't invent live with purpose, right? But the church, we're doing such a bad job of, of actually talking about and being about what Jesus said we're supposed to be about, which is the sense of mission and call and adventure. We need that. As human beings, we need that. We need something to get up for in the morning. We need a sense of call, a sense of involvement, something to sweat for and bleed for and give our lives for. That is what Jesus calls us to. This sense of mission. I've got work for you to do. Carry on the works that I started. And when I talk to young men, young athletes, these people I get to work with, and that's one of the main things we talk about, one of the biggest things, the most incredible things that I think Jesus offers us is a sense of real, eternal, significant purpose. This is Jesus saying, hey, I came, I died for you, even though you're a mess, you're a lustful, prideful, selfish self-indulgent mess, but I love you so much. Not because you're awesome, but because I'm awesome and I love you so much that I died for you. I carried all your sins, all your guilt, all your shame to the cross, took it for you to give you life, to set you free from the life that you're living right now, the mission that you're on, which is to try and fill yourself up, fill your life up, give yourself a sense of meaning and purpose, right? By, by storing up all these treasures and trinkets and, and things that are eventually just going to rust and burn and end up in the trash anyway, right? I came to save you and free you 
from trying to find purpose and satisfaction in, in your appearance and, and you know, working hard to look good and portray a certain image when ultimately those looks and the, the, the image on the outside is just going to sag and wrinkle and get really gross anyway, right, if we're being honest. Something I tell my clients uh, when I was a personal trainer, something I would tell them all the time just to remind them is like, hey man, you're working really hard, you're doing really good, you look great, your body looks great, but just remember, gravity always wins. <laughs> always right? Eventually, boom, you know what happens. I don't have to describe it to you. Okay, it fades, right? It fades. Everything else fades, and what Jesus offers to us is eternal life. It is salvation. It's freedom and forgiveness from sin, and it is a sense of mission. Jesus is saying, I am on a mission to redeem and transform the world. I'm on a mission to see cities and cultures and countries and the world flipped upside down by a revolution of self-sacrificial love. I'm on a mission to see families restored. I'm on a mission to see people set free and find hope when they have no hope. I'm on a mission to see the downcast and the outcast and the diseased and the forgotten about feel noticed and find hope and life. I'm doing this. I'm going on this mission, and you're coming with me. Come on, let's go. Right? It's like, who's saying no to that? Right? If you're still on the fence about Jesus, and you're still thinking about this thing, and you're unsure, man, say yes to that. He wants to take your, your just mediocre, living for yourself kind of life, living for the weekend, living for the moment sort of life, and give you an ultimate transcendent, eternal purpose, something to fight for, something to get up for in the morning and work for, something that has eternal significance, that can impact people and the world, not just for a few years, but for all of eternity. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever, whoever believes, whoever, circle, underline, star, highlight that word, whoever, whoever. What does Jesus say? Whoever is a professional minister will do the works that I do. Nope. Uh, Whoever gets all of their theology perfectly right and gets everybody to agree with them will do the works that I do. Nope. Uh, Whoever has a squeaky clean past and has never slipped up in sin and still doesn't, doesn't struggle with sin at all will do the works that I do. Nope. Whoever doesn't have kids will do the works that I do. Whoever's kids uh, don't play sports, so they have a whole bunch of extra time on their hands, they will do the works that I do. No, guys, whoever believes will do the works that I do. Whoever, whoever, no matter how messed up, jacked up your past is, no matter how just broken you think you are, there are sins that maybe you're even still struggling with that you don't even forgive yourself for. How can God forgive me for that? No. What does Jesus say? Whoever, whoever believes the prerequisite for being used by God on his mission in the world is not perfection. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for people who have it all together. He's looking for people who have faith, who believe in him, who are available. Whoever believes whoever believes. God specializes in working in and through messed up people. He specializes in it. You know how I know? Because that's all he has to work with. He only has messed up people to work with. Are you feeling like a mess? Are you feeling underqualified to be used by God? Yeah, me too. 
but it's his goodness, it's his power, it's his spirit that he pours into us. Whoever believes will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So what are the greater works? The greater works. Um, There are some denominations and some churches who uh, have interpreted this to mean that uh, all believers, all Christians, are supposed to do greater miracles than Jesus did. Um, So they take that word works to mean Jesus' signs and wonders, his miracles. Um, But that doesn't hold up for a couple reasons. 1 Corinthians, uh, where Paul talks about spiritual gifts, he says, you know, some prophesy, some speak in tongues, some do this, but not everybody. Do all prophesy? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all work miracles? No. So not every single Christian uh, is going to work miracles, especially the same miracles that Jesus worked. Uh, That also doesn't hold up if you just think about it for a second, right? Greater works than Jesus. So if these greater works are greater miracles than Jesus, what did Jesus do already in the Gospel of John? Jesus showed up at a wedding and he turned water into all these basins full of the best wine that anybody had ever tasted. Right? What did Jesus do? Jesus, uh, he stole a little kid's Lunchable and multiplied it. times. That's the message translation. And uh, he multiplied it to feed 5,000 people, right? He took the kids' Cheez-Its and sardines and he multiplied it to feed 5,000 people, right? What did Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus glided across the surface of the Sea of Galilee, right? Like, like me at a wedding at a dance floor. He just he walked on water to meet his disciples in the sea on the boat, right? What did Jesus do? What, did this, what signs did he do? He went to the cross carried all our shame, all our guilt, all our sin, was crucified, buried in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it, and then he rose to life miraculously and walked out of that tomb. Hands up if you've done greater miracles than that. Yeah, right? That's not the pattern that we see. Right? The greater works, think of it, greater works. We are to do greater works even than Jesus. It's greater in extent and scope right? Not greater miracles. There is no greater miracle than dying for the sins of the world and raising to new life by the power of God. But extent and scope. So think about it this way. What what does John mean then? What does Jesus mean? Greater works than Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus, um, he, he probably never traveled more than 60 miles from his home, right? He, um, by the end of his life, he had 11 close disciples who were still with him, Right? When we see in the upper room, uh, when the Holy Spirit falls on the believers, we have about 120 followers of Jesus. Right, 120, and then what happens? There's a clue here. We'll do greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So what does Jesus do? His plan was never to have this small, localized uh, little movement. His plan was always to go away, die, pour out his spirit on his believers to fill them and then send them out into the world to extend and carry on his mission and his works in the world through the power of his spirit, right? So we see this and I'm going to leave most of the work uh, for Lee or whoever's preaching later because John's going to go into great detail about uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But what Jesus does is he goes away and then he sends the Spirit to empower his believers. The Spirit falls on them uh, at Pentecost. And then what happens? So Jesus, by the end of his life, he has 120 followers with him in the upper room there, right when he, when he leaves. Boom. The first sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, 
3,000 people believe the gospel and are transformed. 3,000. Boom. Right? And then Paul says something amazing in uh, Acts 19, uh, a couple years after that. It's been a couple years since that happened. Paul says, nobody in the province of Asia has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Historians say at that time in, in Ephesus, so Paul was pastoring this church in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor where uh, Turkey is now. Paul says nobody in the province of Asia has not heard the gospel. There would be about 8 million people living there at that time. So man, this, this, this thing that Jesus does, the, it's the extent, the scope of his mission. That's how we'll do greater things. We're, we're going to push, Jesus is going to push the mission through his people, through his spirit out into the world. And that's what we see happening. Greater works than these will he do. It's like, it was just perfect setup. It was, it was, he had these followers, he had these people ready to go. It was like logs soaked in gasoline, right? And then, boom, the Holy Spirit lights the match, just bursts this thing into flames. And it spreads out. That's what happens. That's what happens when people get filled with the Spirit of God and the passion of God and the mission of God and the heart of God for the world is they go, they spread out, they get out. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's pushing his mission out to the corners of the earth. And that is what he has called us to partner with him in. And so it's easy to get fired up about that. But this is where it comes together in the second half of this. How is that going to happen? How? How are we going to partner with Jesus? How are we going to do greater works even than he did? Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How does this happen? How do we partner with Jesus? How do we go out and carry on the works and the mission of Jesus in the world? Prayer. Ask me. Ask me. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Prayer. Guys, God is calling us back to prayer. We run around, we get busy, we do so many things. He's calling us back to prayer. The privilege that Jesus is inviting us into to sit at the feet of God. God wants to talk to you. God. God wants to talk to you. Our minds need to not ever not be blown away by that. God wants to hear your concerns. He wants to hear your needs and he wants to answer your prayers and give you whatever you need when you ask in the name of Jesus. This invitation is crazy. We are silly and we are foolish to not take hold of that. And that is why the enemy will do every single thing in his power that he can to get you to not pray, to get you to not even ask, to get you to give up on the power of prayer. Man, I don't know if this was something spiritual going on or it was just crazy, but even this morning I'm driving here uh, to church to get to the prayer meeting before the service starts, and I'm driving on, uh, on 16th in South Surrey, and I'm praying. I start to pray. I'm like, I need to pray, and this is what I do when I'm coming to church in the morning. I start to picture your guys' faces, as many as I can remember, and I pray for you. I just pray for as many people as I can think of, and I'm praying, and I'm in the zone. I'm not kidding. An owl flies out of the bush and starts flying toward my car, and he doesn't move, and I killed an owl this morning. It was nuts. I'm not kidding. (laughs) As soon as I started to pray for you, and then my mind was all over the place because there's owl feathers in my car. Right, but we, oh man, how, how do we just, 
not take hold of this promise of God, man. Ask me, ask me, ask me. But we need to understand what this means in Jesus' name because we misunderstand this. So what we do, right, is we separate uh, this part of the verse. We separate this promise from the first half. We just forget that the first half was there, right? We go, oh, whatever you ask in my name, I will do this. Okay, uh, in Jesus' name, I would like a boat, right? I would like more stuff. I would like a more comfortable life in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That is not what he's talking about, guys. The whatever, the whatever he's, he's saying, ask me for whatever in my name, the whatever is connected to the works. Don't separate those two things because you'll end up disappointed. You'll end up mad at God because he didn't give you what you asked for in his name. It is not separate from the works. The whatever has everything to do with the works. We are called to partner with God through bold, expectant, persistent prayers of faith. Jesus invites us to partner with him in his renewal and transformation of ourselves, the church, the culture, and the world. Through persistent, believing prayers of faith, Jesus invites us to partner with him. And what does this mean? So Jesus is saying, in essence, Whatever you need to do the works, whatever you need to carry on my works and my mission in the world, ask me for that. Because I got all the resources in the world for that. What do you need, guys? What do you need to reach your neighbors? What do you need to share your faith with people? What do you need? Do you need opportunities? Ask. Do you need courage? Ask. Do you need boldness? Ask. Do you need resources? Ask. I want to give it to you, but where this malfunctions is where we just think God is is telling us to ask for whatever we want. Again, Jesus is saying, no, lift your eyes above your own little stuff. Bigger picture, right? This is like a buddy of mine in Edmonton. He has a landscaping business and uh, he's like, the the mission of the business, he's like, man, we want to make the, the best looking hedges and grass and front lawns in the city or something stupid like that, right? That's the mission. And he, he tells his employees, whatever you need, to, to make that happen, I'll invest in it. Just ask me. Just ask me. Whatever you need, I got you. Right? You need new, new hedge trimmers, whatever. You need a new weed whacker, I'll buy it for you. I got it. This mission is too important to not invest in that stuff. And then he comes and talks to me. He's like, dude, I think I got to fire this teenager who's working for me. I'm like, why? He's like, well, I told him, like, whatever you need to push the, the, the company forward and make the best front lawns in the city or whatever, whatever you need for that, ask me and I'll buy it for you. And the kid comes to me and he, he wants me to buy him a new iPod. And he wanted me to buy him a new pair of Air Jordan sneakers. And he's like, man, how is this gonna, how is this gonna push the, the company forward? And he's like, well, man, if people see me in the front yard mowing the lawn and I got these sneakers on and I got my iPod in, they're gonna think, wow, that guy's fly, that company's fly. He'll push the mission forward. Fired him, for sure. Because that's a misunderstanding of the mission, right? The call was to ask for whatever you need to do the works, to push the mission forward. What do you need? Ask. Ask him for it. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So this is what it comes down to, you guys. When when we are called to ask for things, ask for whatever in the name of Jesus, this call is to come to God humbly in prayer and say to him, Lord, this is, what, this is what I need. This is what I want to happen on one hand. And then on the other hand, your will be done. 
this is what I want, God. This is why I think what I want lines up with who you are and your character and what you want for the world. But at the same time, your will be done. I might be wrong. Your will be done. Right? That's why when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and right, they never asked Jesus, think about this, they never asked Jesus to teach them how to preach. They never asked Jesus to teach them how to do miracles. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Because that was the most important thing, and there was more power in Jesus' prayers than anything else that he did. Jesus lived a life of prayer. You see this constantly. He goes to the Father in all the busyness of ministry and the things that he was doing. He takes time out. He gets away from the crowd to pray, to ask God. And Jesus gives them this framework. It's the Lord's Prayer. You probably know it. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where it starts. Father in heaven. God, you are in heaven. I'm not. You know what's best. I don't. Hallowed be your name. Your name be glorified. Your name, your kingdom, your will. It starts with your. It starts with God, friends. We don't come to God and try to demand that he does whatever we want him to do. We come to God and say, hallowed be your name, Lord. This is what I want. This is what I think I need, but your will be done. Prayer is not getting God prepared to do my will. It is getting me prepared to do God's will. Prayer is not getting God prepared to do my will. It is getting me prepared to do God's will. And it is through prayer when we come to God with this heart posture that he starts to shape our heart for the things that break his heart. And we start to pray in line with his heart. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in line with the will and the heart and the character of Jesus and what he is doing in the world. That needs to shape our prayers. That's how we come to him. And we trust, we trust. When we don't understand, man, and we don't have time to get into the depths and the nitty-gritty of this, but it is so important. When, when, when we pray those things that we are so sure are in line with the heart and the will of God and we don't get them, why does God heal one person and heal not another person? Why does God save one person It doesn't save another person? I don't know. I don't know. But what we are called to do is we are called to persist in prayer and we are called to trust Pastor Tyler Staten in, in Portland, he says this, Jesus has not revealed a God that we can perfectly understand. He's revealed a God we can perfectly trust. When we don't get that thing, we are called to trust because what we do know is that it's not only through getting what we want that God gets his will done and gets glory for himself in the world. It's not only through the things that I want. Sometimes God works his will and gets glory for himself by being silent by not giving us what we want. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, man, when you see him, he has this thorn in the flesh, he has this thing that's tormenting him physically, and he prays in three different seasons of his life. He prays, Lord, take this thing from me. And what is God's answer to him? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. My power works best in weakness. God wanted to get glory for himself and accomplish his will in the world through Paul's suffering. Right, look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to go to the cross. He's, he's praying to the Father so, uh, so hard that he's sweating drops of blood. And he's saying, Lord, uh, if there's any way to remove this cup of suffering from me, please do it. But nevertheless, your will be done. Your will be done. 
That is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It is to pray in faith, believing that God can do it, and at the same time to say, Lord, your will be done. But we are called to ask, friends. And I don't want that, I don't want that to get missed because I think this is, the, this is the main point, the main thrust of this passage. What does Jesus say? He says, ask, ask, ask. And so what do we need to do? We need to go to him in faith. And how does he want us to ask? We'll just wrap it up here really quickly, man. How does, how, what, what should we ask for? Again, looking at that framework, looking at the Lord's Prayer, I just want to point out two things. Your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread. What should we ask for? We should ask for our daily bread. We should ask for the things that we need, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Ask God to provide. He wants to provide. He wants to give you the things that you need. We don't need to be ashamed of asking for those things. What do you need physically? Ask. What do you need for your work? Ask. Emotionally, are you struggling? Are you tired? Are you this? Are you? Ask. Ask. Spiritually, what do you need? Are you dry? Are you, are you in a, a, just a rut right now? Do you lack faith? Ask. Lord, help me believe. Help my unbelief. Ask, and he will give it to you. I've seen this over and over and over again. Ask for our daily bread. But I think what Jesus is saying is, man, be careful of only praying daily bread prayers. And also, be aware and be careful of when your daily bread prayers, that's provision, man. That's what you need to get by. That's what you need to get by. Be very careful when daily bread prayers actually slowly morph into make me fatter prayers. Make me more comfortable prayers. It goes slightly beyond what I need to what I want. Lord, make my life more comfortable do this tiny little thing that, that will just make me enjoy life more, be a little bit more comfortable and a little more safe. I don't think that's daily bread prayers. Right? That's, that's, that's Krispy Kreme prayers, daily Krispy Kreme. Nobody needs that. It makes a, your day a little bit sweeter. It makes, your, it makes you a little bit fatter, right? A little more comfortable, but that's not provision. And it's not bad to ask God for things, but if that is preventing you from praying, Lord, your kingdom come prayers, then it's a bad thing. And that's the second thing I think we're supposed to ask for. Jesus laid it out in, in the Lord's Prayer. Kingdom come. Your kingdom come. He's calling us to more, guys. He's calling us to pray in line with his heart and his mission for the world. We need to get beyond ourselves and beyond our immediate circles with our prayers. Right? John Piper says this about prayer. He says this, why is there prayer for wartime, not civilian time? The number one reason prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is because they try to take a wartime walkie-talkie and turn it into a domestic little intercom by which they ring up the maid to bring another pillow. It malfunctions. Prayer is made for tanks, it's made for trenches, it's made for war. It won't work when you install it in your yacht. Until we believe that life is war, we will not know what prayer is for. Theologian Karl Barth said it this way, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world, the means by which we push back the curse that infected the world and infected us. 
That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Guys, prayer is not this clean, neat, domestic little religious activity. Every time you kneel and clasp your hands in prayer, you are taking hold of a spiritual weapon and going to war. That's why there's a disconnect, a malfunction, when all we do as Christians is pray for more comfortable things. Lord, make my life a bit better. It doesn't work because Jesus is calling us to pray for the works of him to be done in the world for the glory of the Father. He's praying to push back darkness. He's praying to partner with him, to go out into the world for the good of people, to bring light into darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring salvation to those who need it. Right? Pray, ask him for those things because that's his will. That's what he wants and he will give it to you. Part of this is intercession. We see this word over and over again in the scriptures. We're called to pray for intercession. One of those times is Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Guys, can I just ask you right now as we close, who are you praying for? If this is true, if God will give it to you, if God will answer prayer, Who do you know that does not know God? Who do you know that does not have hope? Who do you know that has practical, tangible needs that need to be met? Right? Okay, I don't know how this works. I'm not going to pretend to know how this works. There's some mystery to it. But James uh, 4.2, he says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask. We need to believe, guys, that prayer releases real power to affect real change in the real world. You need to believe that. That when you pray, things will happen that would not have happened if you did not pray. Think about that for a second. How does that work with the sovereignty of God? I don't know. But it's the scripture. You do not have because you do not ask. What are you asking God for? I don't know how this works, but man, I was reflecting on this this week. Again, the people, the ways that God has answered this prayer in my life, intercession, praying for people, going between and asking God to do a work in their life and in their heart. I added it up. In the last four years, there are 15 people that I have, man, I don't have time. I was going to read this for you. It would have been fun. This is my prayer journal, all right? This has a list of people that in the last four years that I have prayed for and just got on my knees and asked God, they don't know you, Lord. Will you break down the walls in their hearts? Would you move, Holy Spirit? Smash down the strongholds? Bring them to you? Call to them? Do whatever you need to do and save them? That's 14 people who now know Jesus that I was praying for. 14 people Is that going to happen every time? No. There are people in here that I'm still praying for, that God hasn't saved them yet. But God answers prayer. Are you asking? Are you asking? That is his invitation, guys. Let me just ask you this. 
if everything that you asked God for in the last week actually happened, like everything, everything you asked him for, what would happen? Would your family be changed and transformed? Would people who don't know Jesus know Jesus? Would your city be turned upside down with love? Would your community be changed? Would your school be changed? Would anything change beyond the immediate little comfortable circumstances of your life? Or would you just have a little bit less pain? Would you have a little bit more comfort? Have a couple more things? If everything you ask God for actually happened, what would happen? He's calling us to ask in his name, in line with his character, in line with his will. Yes, daily bread, but Lord, your kingdom come. All who believe will do the works and will do even greater works. And so we can't talk about this, man. We can't talk about prayer without actually doing it. So we're going to do it. That's how we're going to close. We need to pray. Um, So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes right now. Ben, you can come on up if you, if you want. First, just think of, that, think of that question, man. How would you answer that question? If, you, if God actually answered every single prayer that you're praying to him right now, what would happen? What would happen in your life? What would happen around you? What would happen in people? What would happen in your city? What would happen in the world? I'm just going to ask you right now just to think again, to reflect for a minute and ask God to put on your mind, to put on your heart right now somebody that you need to start praying kingdom come prayers for. Somebody who who is without hope, maybe someone who is without God, someone who's in deep need beyond beyond yourself. Just ask God right now, ask the Holy Spirit to lay somebody on your heart, to lay somebody on your mind that you need to start praying for and really kneel before God in humility and plead with God to pester him, to bother him. That's his invitation. Bother me, bother me. Keep praying, keep asking. I want you just in the quiet of your own mind and your own heart right now to pray for those things, to pray for that person, to pray a bold prayer, to pray a big prayer, to pray that God would do something that you do not have the power in yourself to do. Because I think prayer comes down to this. It comes down to belief and it comes down to love. If we love God, we will want to be in his presence. And if we love people, we will want God to do things in the lives of those people that we don't have the power to do ourselves. We will not intercede for people. We will not pray for people until we love them. So I want you to just ask God right now to light that flame in your heart of deep love for the world. And it is belief. Belief that God, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, can do in two seconds what we cannot do running around and striving for 20 years. Be bold. Pray that prayer in faith right now. I'm going to ask you to stand when you're ready.
as we do communion and worship, I'm going to ask us, guys, can we just pray the Lord's Prayer together? Can we pray it with power? Can we pray it like we mean it? Let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.